0: Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. I wanna talk this morning about what you're called to, invited to by God. And what keeps us from participating in this really amazing call? All right, so we're going to focus in on the gospel called the Transfiguration. Word Transfiguration, if you Latin scholars out there, just means trans across. Think about a transatlantic flight. All right, trans means across and figure one figure to the next. So Jesus was one way, and then he moves to another way of manifesting. So. Seemed like a normal human being, and then all of a sudden shined like the sun. Transfiguration. Okay. So he takes Peter, James, and John up this high mountain. In the Bible, the mountain is a very heavenly place. It's kind of where heaven and earth touch quite a bit. Moses received the tablets on a high mountain. God was supposed to be dwelling on Mount Zion. Elijah was on a mountaintop and heard the voice of God. And now Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up a high mountain. And so the Bible's pretty clear here. This is going to be some sort of mingling or conversation between heaven and earth. They're up there, and while this gospel doesn't, the gospel of Luke does tell us that while he's up there, he's at prayer. So Jesus is talking to the Father. And all of a sudden... He becomes white as, like, the light, shining like the sun. His clothing, his face, he becomes fully manifested in this glory. And while this is going on, Moses and Elijah show up. So, for first century Jewish men and women, this is a big deal. Okay, for us we go, that's neat, but for them, like, you can't get bigger than this. Moses represents the law. Now the law for us, we're like, oh yeah, don't speed or don't steal. Okay, always a negative. That wasn't what it was like for Israel. The law was that God stepped down and communicated to them the way of life that was pleasing to him. The law was saying, if you live this way, you will always have my favor and protection. This is the way I created you, so you'll find happiness and meaning. This is the way you'll flourish. God is not pleased with every way of life. He is not delighting in doing whatever you want. He revealed through the law that Moses gave us the way of life that pleases him and the way of life that brings us fullness and flourishing. So for Moses to be there... It was communicating that the whole way of life that God was preparing for us is now centering on Jesus. Because Moses is pointing to Jesus. Now Elijah, he represents the prophets. The prophets were those who spoke on behalf of God a word of hope and healing. The idea that your sins would be wiped away. The oppression from other countries or from your own life would be dealt with by God. You would be restored to glory. Good things were going to come because God was going to intervene. Not because we figured it out, but because God, who loves us like a father, was going to act on our behalf. There's Elijah pointing to Jesus saying, It's happening. So Moses and Elijah here were communicating to the apostles that saw this very clearly that God wasn't just going to give a law or words of hope. He now gave us a person, Jesus. And whenever you deal with a person, you're now dealing in the category of relationship. And so everything God was going to do, give us a way of life that was pleasing and fulfilling, heal us and give us hope, is now happening in and through Jesus. Not to mention the whole beauty of the Trinity, God's inner life, life, love, power, glory, beauty, tenderness, intimacy, all is being manifest. And here's Peter, James, and John being like, this is amazing. We thought we were going on a hike. This is awesome. So while this is happening, all right, Then the cloud's there and they hear the voice of the Father and they fall down. My question for you, for you to just take a minute and sit with, and we're just going to sit with it for a couple moments of silence is, where do you think you're meant to be in this story? Where are you by name in your life story, in who you are, in everything you've done and haven't done and want to do and hope to do, Where are you supposed to be in this story? The church has taught from the very beginning that God doesn't want you like Peter, James, and John, bumbling and watching from the outside like a really cool theatrical experience. God doesn't even want you to be Moses and Elijah. The Father's plan for you is that you would be united to Jesus. That in your baptism and confirmation, you are already united to Jesus in the outflowing of love and power and glory that is the Trinity. In fact, if you want to know in the catechism reference, I believe it's paragraph 221, it says... God is an eternal exchange of love and has destined you to share in that exchange. Imagine if this is what we conceived of when we thought of church teachings. That the reason the church teaches what she teaches and why she's so much yes for some things and no for other things is not because we're out of touch, bored, or lonely and just want to make your life frustrating but because we know what's at stake is glory. That we know God wants you and is working in your heart and life to bring you into this manifestation of beauty and goodness and power and meaning and love and tenderness and joy. What if all the activity we do as Catholics and claim to be disciples of Jesus, what if it wasn't just what we've always done, or it's what my parents gave me, or I don't know what else to do. What else are you going to do with your free time? You know, it's something to do, it's nice. But what if it was, well, everything else pales in comparison? I get to partake in God. St. Peter, in his letters in the scriptures, calls the early Christians partakers of divine nature. See, baptism isn't just cute. Baptism is a powerful transformation where creatures are now transformed into sharing in the very life of Jesus, which is to have the power and love of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, the story continues, and what you see is Peter, James, and John fall to the ground. It says they were very much afraid. Part of this is out of great reverence because God is infinitely greater than us and beautiful and amazing and is the creator of the stars. He wanted Saturn to have loops around it. He's a big deal. So when he shows up and speaks, the human heart freaks out a little bit. Rightfully so, out of reverence. But there's another element that I think we can also consider is maybe they fell down because they just thought, I'm a stupid fisherman. This is the glory of divine life. What am I doing here? Maybe it was a wound of shame where they just thought to themselves, I know how we talk when our shift is done when we're fishing and what we're like in the local bars and taverns and on the streets. And now goodness and purity himself is inviting me to share? What if one of them is remembering something they did in their past? A past sin or a way of thinking, a group of people they don't like, a judgment or haughtiness or unforgiveness in their hearts, and when they see this beauty and glory, it's very clear to them how imperfect they are, and they think, well, this is just impossible. A bad analogy would be like if the Cavs called and said, Father Ryan, we need you for the playoffs. I'd be like, well, this just, that sounds great. I've been waiting for many years. But I think we missed the window, and I don't think it's going to be good. But maybe for you, it's simply a hardship in your life. Maybe there's some frustration at God, right? Like maybe you're sitting there saying, I have family members that terrible things have happened to them. Or I lost a loved one. And now you're all beautiful and good and loving and amazing, but there's places in me that say, I don't know if I can trust you because I got hurt. Or I'm frustrated and angry at you. What if those are the things that made Peter, James, and John bend down and fall down? Instead of standing up in glory and praise and beauty and awe, bow down in shame, rejection, anger, and sin. Now notice how the one the Father sends treats them in their pain, anger, shame, and sin. It says Jesus goes over to them and touches them. The one they just saw burning with divine glory. And they're aware of their sin and muck and anger and imperfections and he touches them. And he says, get up, be not afraid. Pope St. John Paul II, every pope picks a theme for their pontificate. Um, pope John Paul II's was, be not afraid. And one time he was asked, what are we meant not to be afraid of? And he said, spiders. I'm just kidding. He said, <laughs> <laughs> he said your greatness Be not afraid of how much God can do with you and through you to make you holy and to spread the gospel and to bring other people to the good news of Jesus. Don't be afraid of the calling God has in your life. Don't be afraid of how powerful sin appears, but grace is all the more strong. Don't be afraid of how much the Holy Spirit is already at work trying to give you a transfiguration moving you from one way across to another way of living. This, all of this is actually embodied at the Mass. In just a little bit, I'm going to say a phrase that we say at every Mass right before we sing the Holy, 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 which is, with all the angels and saints, we acclaim, or sometimes it says we proclaim, sometimes it says we sing, With all the angels and the saints, all of heaven is disclosed and descends upon us at Mass. This isn't a prayer service. We aren't just human beings praying. We are participating as the body of Christ, united through the Holy Spirit to Jesus, our head, as we worship the Father and receive the life-giving good news of the Scriptures and are then touched just like the apostles were touched through the blessed sacrament, the Eucharist. And he wants to touch you where all that discouragement, fear, and muck is so that he can remind you, be not afraid. And then the Mass ends just like it does for them, coming down from this mountain to go back into the nooks and crannies of your life, alive and on fire, with good news for people who want greatness but are afraid of it. And you say, I get it. But he touches us. He's not afraid of us. He calls us to share in the eternal exchange of love known as the Trinity. If this sounds just like this is too much, this is crazy, this is actually what the church has proclaimed for 2,000 years. They didn't have Twitter, but they didn't also have a lot of pen and paper, so they had to be pithy. And this was it. For the first several hundred years of Christianity, this is what the central message of Christianity was in the world God became a human being so that human beings could become like God. That was it. That was the message when they were serving the poor, that was the message when they were debating with politicians. That was the message when they were alone in prayer. That was the message when they gathered to celebrate the sacraments. That was the message when they worked to forgive their enemies. Is They wanted to be like Jesus because they knew that was the way of life that God had promised. They wanted to be with Jesus and like Jesus because they knew that's where all the hope and healing was. And they wanted to be with Jesus and like Jesus because that was what fulfilled the hungry heart. And so let's take a few minutes today And ask the Lord to show us where does he want to touch us and heal us and bring us into the glory. Amen.